Uh, so it, it, I want to get into the verse that wrecked, that, that wrecked my ministry, and it's, it's kind of along this vein, but let me get here. Um, so Jesus, and here's the story real quick. Um, in, in Luke 9, rather, um, Luke 8, rather, Verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He woke up, he got up rather, and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him, right? And we're, we're amazed by that, and we're just sort of, oh, that's incredible. And it wasn't really until I was an adult that I began to think about the question, why was Jesus so angry, Right? And I, I never thought about that. I was a kid. I was just glad that Jesus could do something about it. I would, I'd be terrified too if I was one of the disciples and storms coming and all this. And, you know, I didn't really think about the fact that Jesus was woken up from a nap, right? Been woke, I get woken up from naps all the time in my house. Not like I get them that often. I get them more than Meg does, right? But kid comes in and begins to shake or throw something on me, and I'm not in a good mood if I get woken up. Jesus gets woken up from this nap, and he rebukes, that's a strong word, he chastises the disciples, he rebukes the disciples. And it really wasn't until the last few years I began to ask, why? Is it really just a matter of he was irritated because he was right in that REM stage and was starting to have this wonderful dream and all of a sudden the disciples are annoying him and he gets up and he's mad about that? Or is it something deeper? And I began to see in some other places this same kind of angry Jesus begins to emerge as well. You know, for example, in one point in Luke 9, towards the end, um, the disciples are supposed to be doing ministry in the power of Jesus, and they, they go and they try to sort of cast out. Well, let's, let's look at it here. I don't think it's up on the, up on this, the screen. Um, but he, there's a boy that has, he's possessed by an evil spirit, and he's sort of manifesting in horrible ways. He's having seizures. He's falling down on the ground. Um, and it says this. He says, teacher, a guy comes to him. He says, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, um, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it's destroying him. That's heartbreaking. It's terrifying to see your child going through this. I, listen to this. I beg your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Jesus says, O believing and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. I was like, oh, you know, if I'm the father, I'm thinking, oh, hold on, Jesus, don't, don't jump on me. I just, I went to your disciples. They're supposed to be able to do these things, and they couldn't do it, so I'm coming to you. You're, you're obviously Jesus. You can do things they can't, and Jesus chastises them again. Why are you so unbelieving? Why are you so hard? Why? He said, how long am I going to put up with this nonsense? I, was, I, th I began to think, okay, this is a side of Jesus that I, I haven't seen very often. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, and then this, in Luke 12, or in, in Luke 9, verse 12, I think this is up here. Okay. 
Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away. No, that's not it. Let's back up a little bit. Sorry, guys. I'm leading you astray. Let's go to, let's go to 9-1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. So think about that. That's, that's a big moment in the Gospels. Calls in the 12. They've been watching Jesus. They've been observing what Jesus has done. They're excited about this. But Jesus then transfers, imparts the same kind of things he's doing onto these 12 individuals right here. He now says, you have authority to go out and to preach and to teach and to proclaim and to heal and to cast out demons. You guys now go out and do these same things. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Don't take all of this stuff along. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave that town. Um, Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town as a testimony against them. Verse 6, so they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. So it sounds good. It sounds like that's exactly how it should be. Jesus has the 12, teaches them, trains them, tells them what the kingdom is like. Then he transfers authority to them, gives them this supernatural ministry, sends them out. They go, they go out and they do it. And they go from village to village in pairs and they're doing ministry left and right. Um, skip over, skip down to verse 10. Verse 10 says this, when the apostles return, so they come back, we don't know how long, maybe, you know, a few days maybe a week. I don't know. They come back though. When the apostles return, they reported to Jesus what they had done. So they come back and they give report. You know, and you can just imagine them all sitting down and, you know, Jesus maybe has some food for them. He says, okay guys, tell me, Peter, tell me how it went. Peter says, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. You know, there was this leper there that was covered head to toe with sores. And just like you taught us, we commanded the leprosy to go. And all of a sudden he was healed right before our eyes and all the people believed. And Jesus was, oh, that's fantastic. You know, you know, James and John, what about you guys? Give us a report. And James and John would give a report. And he would go to you know, Andrew and others, tell us. And they would all give a report about the things that they, they would give testimony to it. Um, so they returned and, and they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So it's, it's sort of after this intense ministry time, they, they want to get away for a bit of a retreat. Just the 13 men, Jesus and his 12, let's get away. We've got a lot of stuff to process, a lot of stuff to debrief, a lot of things to talk about. You know, let's, let's get away for a little while. So they go away by themselves. Um, but the Bible says this, but the crowds learned about it and followed him, Right? You know, it's, it's, it's like the paparazzi following everywhere he goes, and the crowds have spies everywhere, and they want to be where Jesus is. They want to be where there's, you know, the power of God and the love of God being poured out. You know, so they, 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 they get word about where Jesus is going, so they spread the word, and they tell everybody, and all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're chasing Jesus down. How does Jesus respond? He says, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. That's just, yeah, that's beautiful. That's the heart of God right there, the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus. Even when, even when Jesus in, in his humanity is tired, still he responds with compassion. Still he pours himself out. Still he says, come on, 
you know, let's, 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 let's meet your needs. And he healed those who needed healing. So he's teaching them again. Um, verse 12 says, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. So teaching all day and just ministering the kingdom to them, the sun is setting down. The 12 are very logistically minded, right? They're paying attention to the clock and the schedule, and they don't want to be responsible for this, so they come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, look, it's, we, we got to dismiss. we got to adjourn. It's a good walk from this countryside to the places where they can eat. Let's dismiss and send them on. And that makes sense. You've got to think about those things when you've got a large crowd of people and the logistics of that. And, you know, you don't want blood sugar to be dropping with 5,000 people out there. You don't want hangry kids running around screaming and tearing things up. You know, you don't want people passing out or the sun going down and getting lost. You're responsible for all of these kind of people. And the disciples know this, and they're thinking logically. So they come to Jesus and say, let's, let's let them go. We can do more ministry tomorrow. And then Jesus says this in 13, just a few simple words. He replied, you give them something to eat. And right there is where the train of my ministry, my theology of ministry begins to careen. Actually, it was careening before. This is where it flat out derails. Because I read this, and there are two, only two options logically. Jesus was telling them to do something. On the one hand, he was telling them to do something that was impossible, Right? He was being sort of figurative, rhetorical. At worst, he's being manipulative, knowing full well that they really can't do that, but he's just trying to make a point and whatever else. That's the one hand, and that's what I thought for the longest time, was that he was asking them to do something that was very much impossible, and he never expected them to do it. Or Jesus was saying something that very much in the realm of the kingdom was a possibility, and they just hadn't realized it yet. And I read that even in the last five years, you guys, and I began to realize this is the difference. This is what my ministry has been missing. And you know, I'm not knocking against the places that I was and the training that I had and all of that. I'm sure they taught me these things. I'm sure that it was really just my own mind that was so obtuse and I never picked up on this. But I never considered the possibility that Jesus was dead serious in this. Until I began to look at this in light of the other passages that I read to you before, I began to realize, is it possible that Jesus was angry in the boat? Not just because he got woken up, but because he knew his disciples had the same authority and the same power that he did. And I didn't want to say this to anybody out loud. I was afraid I was going to be branded a heretic to consider that maybe the disciples themselves could have calmed the storm. But I mean, to think there's nothing at all in what Jesus' ministry that suggests he only gave them a portion. Nothing that says, guys, I'm going to do some awesome stuff. You get to do a little bit of it. The opposite is true. Jesus said, I'm doing some awesome stuff, guys. You're going to do even bigger things than this. 
and begin to see what he's empowering his disciples to do is not just to watch and observe, but to do the same stuff that he did. And begin to think about Peter and the idea of, you know, you ask anybody out on the street, get a microphone, go out into downtown Lexington or New York or say, get a microphone and say, okay, can you tell me who walks on water? Right? And they can tell you, anybody can tell you Jesus walks on water. Everybody knows that. Ask them, who besides Jesus has walked on water? Uh, we don't know. If you read the Gospels, Peter also walked on water. A human being, just like you and I, defied the laws of physics, walked across the surface of the lake towards Jesus. I don't know why I'm still holding my mic up here. <laughs> That's right. It's like I still have it. And there's no indication that he was special more than the 11. In fact, every indication suggests all of them could have gotten out of the boat. All of them could have hoofed it to where Jesus is, walking towards him. There was no difference. The only difference was the faith and the doing. He did it. He got out of the boat. He put his foot on the water. And all of a sudden, he was doing supernatural things. I got to tell you, I believe the same thing could have happened in the lake. I believe that any one of them could have got up and stood up and said, in the power, in the name of Jesus Christ, storm, stop. And he looks at him and he says, you give them something to eat. And I think of the times, boy, there's a lot of times in my ministry where I wonder if Jesus was telling me to do something that I just flat out didn't think was even possible. I know that's the case. So it, it forced me to answer a question. Is supernatural ministry possible? I had to answer that definitively for myself. So I have 10 years of ministry. God brought us to Kentucky for a, what we thought was a sabbatical. What we thought was like six months or so. It's turned into seven years. I felt sidelined. I felt grounded. I felt like my, my you know, wings have been clipped and I'm here and I'm not working in a church really. I'm not anything, any of those kind of things at all in the way I want to. What's going on? Why have I been grounded? Why have I been benched? And it wasn't until probably three and a half years into it when God began to reveal these things to me and began to realize it's because I don't really believe, I didn't really believe that supernatural ministry this way was possible. Natural ministry is definitely possible. It's what I've been doing all my life. Natural ministry is good. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's, there's, there's a time for that. There's a time for just ministering just out of the natural sort of strength that we have, loving people and caring for their needs and serving the poor, you know, and, and all of those are the kind of things that we do. But I'd never really began to believe that supernatural ministry was possible until I encountered this and I came face to face with what Jesus was telling them to do. And a part of me said, well, isn't that just for the 12? Maybe there's something unique about these 12 men. Maybe he's had a special dispensation only for these 12. They're superheroes. They're superheroes in the faith. They get it. We don't really get all of that. That was sort of for the beginning of the church, you know. That's how kind of some people believe that. Um, and then, though, I began to kind of keep reading on to Luke 10. Luke 10 says this in the beginning of the chapter. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others... 72, and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. We don't know who the 72 are. History doesn't tell us. We don't know their names. We've sort of forgotten. They're like a footnote in history. But they were like the next generation. You got the 12. Now we got 72. 
sends him out. He, he told him, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So that's what these 72 are. They're workers in the harvest fields. Go out and ask the Lord to send more. So they go out proclaiming the kingdom um, down to 17. Verse 17 says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So apparently these 72 were able to do something that the first 12 couldn't do. They don't have reports about, you know, the, the demons in not being able to cast all. These 72 came back and said, God, Jesus, you'll never believe this. <laughs> look at what we can do. We weren't one of the 12. We're not special. But look at what we can do in your name. The demons go running. They go running away whenever we speak the name of Jesus. The blind are seeing. The sick are coming to life again. The lame are walking. He says, um, he says a couple things. He says, don't, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Basically saying, guys, don't, don't get so excited about the work that you forget that all this is rooted in identity. You're mine. That's where this power comes from. But then it says in verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. I begin to think, how many times in the, in the Gospels have I seen that phrase? Jesus, full of joy in the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Not very often. This is one of few, if not the only time. And I think it's directly related to the fact that he is seeing the success of kingdom transfer. What brings Jesus great joy? When he, tr when he sees the transfer of the kingdom happening successfully, effectively in his church, full of joy. And he begins to celebrate that. So again, I go back to you give them something to eat. And we know the rest of that story. They, 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 they can't. They don't. There's no rebuke for that from Jesus. He's gracious and he's compassionate and he does what he always does. He provides the power. He provides the miracle. But I wonder if we still can go back and say, Lord Jesus, what do you, is there something else that we can be doing instead of just always wanting somebody else to step up? You know, so I began to think about this. What can we, to put it in this term, what can we give our city to eat, right? What can we provide? What can we offer to people? What can we, we're a small church. We're like in the baby stage, you know? 25 of us, 30, 35 of us kind of growing each week, but still relatively small. Um, what can we offer though to people? So I began to write down some things. I write down five of these, and it's not an exhaustive list, and it's not anything that's just revolutionary and groundbreaking, but it's settling in my heart as being, this is what we can, this is what we have. First is this. First is holy love. And first I just wrote down love last night. I was like, eh, no, that's not enough. That's not enough just to say we can offer love because... Everybody in the world wants to offer that. How is the love that we offer any different? 
because it's holy. It's different. It's set apart. It's self-sacrificing love. And it's a love that helps establish an identity for people. Because I think that's what people first are looking for. Who am I? Why do I matter? Why do I matter in this world? I want to be loved as I am. And that's, that's the heart of anything. And Meg said this, and it was so profound that I wrote it down last night when we were talking about it. She says, love establishes identity and value. Love establishes identity and value. When we know that we are loved as we are by God, that then establishes, I am valuable to Him. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm a son of the King. I'm a daughter of the King. I have value because I am loved. That's the first thing we really can offer to anybody that comes in this door or that we run into outside of these doors. We can love people with a holy love that is self-sacrificing, that is intentional, that's pursuing, that's radical. So that's the first thing I thought about. That's, that's a given, right? Second thing we can, and these kind of lead one to the next. The second thing we can offer is, is really family, a sense of community, a sense of family. And some of you have family that live nearby. Some of you don't. Some of you, your families are healthy and supportive and functional. Some of them are not. Any of the above. Most of our families are somewhere in between, you know, some days better than others. But I, I, I just, I know from experience, I know from conversations over my life that what the, the lost crave is true family, true community, where they are loved and accepted and they have people standing together with them. And you guys are so good at that. You guys are so good at community. We can offer that, right? Third thing we can offer is truth. Um, I remember when I was, when I was a kid, I was in um, sort of that scouts kind of program. It was like that. It was something else. But I remember we went on a camping trip one time, right? And we're supposed to um, be in groups of two or three, and we're, we're learning map reading and compass skills, right? So they give us a map, and they give us a compass, and we're supposed to do triangulation. It means like go to that point out here, and then go to this point, and then come back home. And, you know, apparently there's like some kind of whatever flag or something else at these points, and half of us never really did it. We just kind of wandered in circles and got lost because we really didn't know how to use a compass. I was one of those. Still couldn't figure it out. Still can't figure it out, really. That's what people need, though. We need to know, man, what, what, how do I orient my life towards reality? How do I orient my life towards truth? You know, we're, 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 the culture is just bombarded. We're just soaked with all kinds of competing voices, all kinds of competing uh, worldviews and, and value systems. How do I know what's what? How do I know how to raise my kids? How do I know what the right approach is to marriage? How do I know how to, how do I get ahead in my career uh, and, and still be a person of integrity? What's true? What's not true? What's real? What's not real? We can offer that. We've got it. We've got the ultimate compass right here. We've got the ultimate guidebook right here. This is it. This has everything we need to know about the ultimate reality. 
what's true, what's not true, what's real, what's not real. And people are hungry for that. And we can be unapologetic when, 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 when people come in and just say, look, we do, we're, we're absolutists. We believe there is an absolute truth. And there is one way. Fourth thing I think we can offer is freedom and healing. And we've been doing that. We've been practicing that. And, and even in some supernatural ways, we've been seeing it in the last number of years. You know, and many of you have, have that gift of offering healing. And it's beautiful to see it. And just, I just think about the, the, the opportunities that we're going to have in the days to come to, to sort of bring this kingdom healing to people and kingdom freedom to people. Because it's that, the freedom and the healing, that gives support to what we say is true. It's one thing to stand up here and say, this is what the Bible says. You really should believe it. It's another thing to say, and I'm going to prove it to you. And here's how supernatural power can, believe it, uh, can prove it to you. There's a couple here last week. Maybe you met them, Gilbert and Christy. They're from Georgia, our friends. They've gone home. They've already gone home. But she told, she told us a story recently, and she's been walking in the gift of healing for probably a year or so, and she, she didn't really know she had it until we kind of began to talk to her, and she began to talk about her hands being hot all the time. She's like, what does that mean? I was like, well, some people that have the gift of healing have hot hands a lot. It's sort of like a, 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 you know, a physical way that you know God's moving through you. And she, would, she told us a story about how she was encountering some people, one lady that, 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 that she had prayed for in the past, had come up to her and said, I don't know what you did to me, but after you prayed for me, the pain has not been back. And Christy was like, man, praise God for that. But there was this other gentleman sort of with her who was not a believer at all, you know, very much uh, agnostic, sort of all, of all roads lead to heaven, all faiths have some validity in it. You know, I don't, I'm not exclusively this or exclusively that. There's, there's good in all of these things. And so Christy was trying to sort of engage with him, you know, in discussion, and she also learned that he had a physical condition at the time that was causing pain. And she stopped for a minute and she said, she said, what, ha what if, if God were to heal you right now, would you give consideration to the fact that the God of the Bible is the only true God? <laughs> She's telling me this story and I'm, I'm thinking, well, that's, that's pretty bold. I don't know if I'm going to have the boldness to do that. You know, it's sort of like it's putting God to the test. She asked him this. Would you be willing to consider if God healed you right now, you know, that, that, that God of the Bible is, is the way, the only one? Guy thought to himself, well, I have nothing to lose. Sure, why not? Probably won't, but let's see what happens. She does. She, okay. She lays hands on him. Hands are hot, right? She begins to pray. Prays a couple times, and all of a sudden, the guy's like, okay, something's going on. What, what are you doing? She keeps on praying, and like his pain is all gone. That, that is the freedom and the healing that we can offer that reinforces the truth that we proclaim. They're meant to go together. I've talked about this, the proclamation of the kingdom and the demonstration of its power. We need both of those, and we're going to do that. You guys have been doing that. We're going to continue to do that every time we come together. So love, uh, holy love we can offer, family we can offer, truth we can offer, freedom and healing we can offer, which leads to finally a destiny. We can offer people a destiny. 
And here's what I mean by destiny. By destiny, what I mean is a trajectory for their life that fulfills the purposes God has for them. And I think, you know, if, if people are asking the question of, of who am I, they're also asking the question of why am I here? That's, Rick Warren wrote that book, Purpose Driven Life, what, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago? The best-selling book apart from the Bible, I believe, of all time. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe it's changed. I don't know. At the time, it was of all time in the history since the Gutenberg Press. Millions and millions and millions of copies. And that's his basic premise of the book. What on earth am I here for? And people were just snatching it up left and right. I mean, it wasn't the church that was buying it, all of them. It was just anybody, anybody. It was the Oprah crowd. It was the, you know, casual non-believer crowd. It was the millenn- whatever it was. They want to know, what, why on earth am I here? And we, this is something that we can offer to people, is to discover your destiny, discover why you're here. And that's, that's what makes people come alive. So all of those things, holy love, family, truth. And you could even add in your own here. What, what can we offer? There's other things we can stick in that. You know, great child care, awesome coffee. I don't know, whatever. There's a lot of things we can add to that list. But ultimately, all of those things are this, the kingdom. That's what we can offer. That's it. That's what Jesus tells the 12 and the 72 to go out and to do, is to proclaim the kingdom. Proclaim it wherever you go. So that's, 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 that's so integral, integral, how do you say that? Integral to our DNA that we named our church that. Because that's what we're about. We're about the king and his kingdom and all that that represents and all that that means. So do we do all of those Fully, 100% right out of the gate. No, we're learning as we go. We're, you know, none of us are professionals in kingdom ministry. As soon as we think we have it discovered, God says, let me take you deeper, just like Heather said. Let me take you deeper. Let me take you farther in. Just when you think you know how to pray for healing for somebody, I want to show you how to do something differently, you know. So I guess that's, that's, that's my challenge that, that the Lord's given me. I'm passing it on to you guys. You know, when, 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 when Jesus says, you give them something to eat, what if Peter would have jumped up and said, awesome, let's do it. You know, and start reaching into the basket and pulling out bread. I bet Jesus would have just laughed and sat on the, sat on the ground and just watched him go. I think he's just waiting. He's waiting for people who are audacious enough to take him at his word. Because as soon as they do, as soon as he puts his foot on the water, it happens, right? All right, Brian, come on up. Here's what we're going to do. I want to pray for us. We're going to do some ministry time. Um, it's just if, you know, we're, we're, we're a small family, right? So we're still kind of at the phase of, hey, we're just praying for everybody whenever. Um, if, if, if those of you who sort of hear prophetic words, have anything you want to share, any words of knowledge, or just prophetic words from the Lord, um, you can share those two here in a minute. Um, if anybody needs prayer, we're going to pray for a couple things. Um, we're going to pray for, for Mr. Frank, David and Marcy's, David's dad, Marcy's father-in-law, who is at the sunset of life right now. 
in hospice in the last hours. And Mr. Frank is walking with the Lord. This is going to be a homecoming for him. It's going to be a beautiful thing. We're just going to pray that. We're just going to pray that angels will surround Frank and just bring him in. And we're going to pray for Dave. Um, he's got some pain in the right, his hip. I don't know what I was thinking of this. Yeah. The muscle is torn off. I don't know what I was thinking of this. Is... Okay. In pain this morning? Lots of it. Okay. So we're going to pray over you. We're going to lay hands on you and then pretend like he's here. Um, anyone else? Anything else that's pressing that we can come together on? I want to pray for us and um, we'll lay hands on Dave and then lay hands on David and then we'll lay hands on Tootie, those of us that are around. And if anybody just has a word to share, share that after we've prayed and then we'll just kind of close. Will that work? So Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for trusting the kingdom with the likes of us Thank you for trusting the kingdom with the likes of those 12 and the likes of those 72. Didn't have it all together. Didn't do things perfectly. But you knew, Lord, as they began to press in and say yes to you and yes to your spirit, you would do things that will shake the world and you say the same thing to us. So we want to give the kingdom, Lord, to our community. We want to give them something to eat not just physical, Lord, but we want to give them the real stuff that satisfies. Father, just release more, more of your Holy Spirit in each of us. Lord, adjust our, our, our perspective today so we can just be transfixed on you. We'll be zeroed in on you and what you're, what you're calling us to do. Father, we just come together and we just agree.